Hello, and welcome to episode 84 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, February 17th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, we will. We will get to that. <laughs> Did you want to share how, now? How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I think I figured out the tech. We will see. If there was a notice at the beginning of this episode that I screwed it up again, then uh, it was not going well. But so far, it's good. We're having nice weather. We had our February heat wave last week. And now it's, which you didn't appreciate, I'm sure, but. Yeah. Actually, I did. Oh. Shall I do a little update? Sure. So we're under construction again. Right. And I think that everybody is probably like, oh man, lady, we had to pause our construction due to some supply chain issues, waiting, waiting, waiting. We have re-engaged and they took a wall out of my kitchen last week during the mm. said heat wave. And I was very grateful for the beautiful weather because it meant that my house was not freezing and damp. That is a good point. So I will take... I will take that. And now we have a beautiful new door in the kitchen. So exciting. It looked yeah. very nice. Thank you. Business as usual here with On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, including our review of Cooking at Home, and then On the Nightstand. Yeah, away we go. So On the Needles, I finished my newspaper pullover. Hooray! Finally, Applause. it's only been... Um, well, however many months it has been since September. I think I started it on the 16th. So this is a Hohi Locatelli pattern. This is the brioche, two-color brioche knitting. So stripes of gray and white, or it's technically a light, very, very, very light gray and a charcoal gray. And then they switch and it looks very cool and it took me forever to do and there were some issues. And I think overall it turned out okay. The yarn I used, the light gray was Biche et Bouche by Le, Le Petit Lambswool, and then uh, Isiger yarn Spinny, and that was the charcoal. And I think because I started off doing it one color at a time, so I would work with the charcoal, and then I would work with the light gray, and then I'd work with the charcoal and work with the light gray. And then once I got to the, the main part of the body where you're just going in the round, I did it working both colors at the same time. And that definitely changed my gauge. So I think that might've been part of my problem because my sleeves are still looking a little puffy. I think it looks okay, like once you put it on, but it does not look like the picture. So, uh, Did you block it yet? I did block it. I have not tried it on. It just finished drying this morning. And so I've not had, not had a chance since blocking it. But I think, it's, I think it looks cute. It's squishy and soft and and it's finished and it's finished hooray very exciting so i am pleased with that and then i also did another hat because apparently hats are great even though we're having a heat wave and i haven't been able to wear them so the fog will roll in any minute now it will for sure so this is the stochastic hat by hunter hammerson and this is a new pattern of hers and the yarn i used is from gauge dye works uh, their, her DK in Monte Carlo blue. The yarn was dyed specifically for this hat pattern. And this is kind of what Gage Dye Works is known for. She started off, 
I think she had regular self-striping yarns for socks, and then she figured out how to dye it so that if you were doing a triangular shawl, all of your stripes would be the same size. Because if you're using yarn meant for going in a circle and you start getting more and more stitches, your stripes are going to get smaller. That's how math works. So she redid the math. So you're beginning stripes i'm ter- i'm giving you like terrified eyes like i well, nobody did the math she did it i didn't do it <laughs> <laughs> that is not the kind of math that i do so she figured out how much you would have to dye in each color to make all your stripes come out and she has since figured it out for raglan sweaters which is oh actually i'm wearing that today that's one of my favorites and her colors are amazing that you have on today it's kind of so it's a rainbow up at the top and then the rest of it is all gray and her color combinations are generally quite fantastic Um, so she has started doing other yarns for specific patterns and this was one of them so the hat starts off with whatever your color is she has a blue one and a purple one and an orange one Um, and you do the brim of the hat and then it goes into a nice pearly gray and there's little blips of the color and when you get to the blip of color you do a specific stitch And so you end up with these kind of look almost like leaves on random spots in the hat. And that stitch is super fun to do. looks complicated. It ends up being pretty easy. Other than that, it's just stockinette in the round. And then there's the option. She had three different crown decrease options, which is super fun. And one of them involves using the color. So you have kind of a, a colored star on top of your hat, which is what I ended up doing. Looks lovely. So that was just super fun because, you know, you're just knitting and then, oop, you get to do a little fun stitch. And then it's done because it's a hat. And then it's done because it's a hat and it's in DK. So it's pretty, not giant thick yarn, but decent. It's not fingering weight. That was more or less a weekend project. So it was super fun. And I've been watching the Olympics, so I need kind of good TV knitting and that, that fit the bill. And the hat probably doesn't technically fit with my New Year's goals. But they are my goals, so I can say that it fits because I bought this yarn specifically for this project and then I did the project almost immediately after. So it's kind of, it's not exactly a club kit, but it sort of is. It's like a club that I made for myself. (laughs) I feel good about it. It's like half a point in my goals, I feel. Good. And then I am back to working on my Go Tell the Bees shawl. The Go Tell the Bees shawl would definitely hit some of my New Year's goals. This is a work in progress that I started last year sometime that was club yarn from Sincere Sheep, and it's in her Eureka Fingering. The colorway is called Brave Enough, and it is a yellow to dark purple gradient, and it's very lovely. So the pattern is from Michelle Bernstein, and you cast on a bajillion stitches, And then do, and I counted them all, so I know it's exactly a bajillion. And then you go right into the lace edging, and then you end up doing the boring stockinette part, which is fine. But it took me a while to get started. I think I used the wrong needle size or, you know, and then starting starting off a lace pattern can be tricky, especially if you're starting from zero, just from your cast on row. So it took me a while to get it all going. But once you get lace going, it's pretty easy to, or at least I find it fairly easy to read my knitting. I can tell pretty quickly if I've screwed something up, miscounted, you know, like, you know what your stitches are supposed to be doing. Like 
you should always do a yarn over after you do this particular stitch and there should be these stitches right below you. So you can, you can tell when you've screwed up. And I've got some stitch markers in there so I know how big my each section repeat is. And so now it's, it's been going great. I've gotten through the lace part, the like the honeycomb edging, and now I'm into the, the bee swarm. So she has these fun little lace stitches that look like bees. Cute. So it's delightful. And then in between, it's a lot of stockinette. And I'm almost at the part where I think there's just bees along the middle and we start doing some crescent shaping. So basically, I'm just really enjoying it. And it's it's pretty good TV knitting. To pay attention to where you're, when the bees show up, you have to do some late yarn overs and dropping stitches and some other crazy things. But it's it's mostly stuff that you can do while watching TV. And then you get to watch the color of the yarn change, which is always super fun. My biggest concern now is making sure that I will get to the dark purple, and I think I will. I think I won't be able to use as much of it as I would have liked. The shawl comes in a shawlette and a shawl size, and I think the shawl was going to use up too much yarn, so I went with the smaller one. So we'll see, but it's just fun to watch, and I'm enjoying the new stitches and pondering what I'm going to do next and trying Mm. to talk myself off of the... Sure, I can knit another sweater for myself before we go to stitches, which is now in two weeks. So, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> no, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I have one scarf to take. That that was that your plan, I, right? From the from the yeah. last stitches, you were gonna knit a scarf to wear to the next one. Yes, and here we are. And here we are. Well done. I wish that I could finish my 15 year cardigan, but I don't see that happening. I mean, you just Maybe have, the, take it you just have the collar, the... don't you? Yeah. <laughs> just a collar, lady. You could just you could just wear it as is. You could put a scarf around. Oh my goodness. Tempting. Semi-finished Sunday. You don't actually seem tempted. I'm more worried that it's going to be super warm up there and this that is, true. is a really heavy cardigan. It's, you know, yeah. it's like it's like a bordering coat. on it's a coat. It's Irish fisherman sweater. Yeah. Wait. This is true. And I run warm. Yeah. So I am I don't foresee wearing anything knitted, frankly. <laughs> Probably the scarf. Maybe. Yeah. That's true. That's the other thing I have been pondering is what to bring. Cuz usually I just go for a day, so I only have to figure out one outfit. Right. But we're going to be there the whole time. Yes. It's very exciting. Officially. And then added to this, the following month, I have my knitting retreat. So, oh, good. Yes. But then I will be seeing a lot of the same people, you know, so I can't use up all of my... You have a hundred sweaters. Right. But they're big sweaters. Oh. I have to pace like my where's shawls the, and t-shirt. Where is the retreat? San Juan Baptista. So also warm. Potentially. Yeah. One never knows what the weather will do. We will see. These are really terrible problems. They are. you and I have. They are. We are... <laughs> struggling severely totally yeah it's tough i will power through same yeah i'm referring to my construction you know yeah criminal beautiful new door yeah and it's tough yeah it is it's hard so what's on the easel though not much on account of the construction it's very dusty inside the house because in addition to this we also have a couple rooms that have been ripped down to the studs and that creates a profound dust cloud, even with all of our precautions. So I have been drawing in my sketchbook and I was very inspired because I was talking to Daria about wallpaper 
So I have this little tiny powder room that I was thinking maybe would be fun to wallpaper. Daria is making her own wallpaper right now. She's Hey Hooray Design. And she's my accountability partner for all things art. And so I was looking at purchasing wallpaper for one of the bathrooms, and it's super pricey. Of course, the ones that I love are just the most beautiful <laughs> wallpapers under the you sun. you have good taste. So then I thought, Spoonflower, you can, if you upload a design, it, you can make your own wallpaper, which is what Daria has done or is doing. And so I, for a couple days, sat down with all of the construction happening and was just drawing imaginary wallpaper designs with, you know, a cheetah and an avocado tree and butterflies and a snail and the most botanically, biologically inaccurate little scenes I could come up with. There was an owl in there, of course. That's awesome. Could you just do a mural in your bathroom? Um, I could. It's a but then it's a tiny, it's tiny. And then I would be like painting in the bathroom for, well, I don't know. Paint big. Potentially. I'm going to let that roll around my brain. Okay. Come on, make a decision right now. Right? In the middle of all of this, though, I had been thinking about doing some sewing. I didn't, I just didn't realize how disruptive this round of construction would be. And I, I really don't have any dust-free space. So Everything has been in a sketchbook, and the sewing that I thought I was going to do has not come to pass. So I feel like everything, the easel, the table, the nightstand, are all pretty quiet on my end of things this week. But it'll come back, so stay tuned. All right, so on the table, so I will do, I, I have been doing some cooking. Apparently, I got to February and realized... My New Year's goals would not happen unless I actually did them. Acted upon them? <laughs> Acted upon them. And since I had like three for each of the three segments, that's nine. So I did have some, I have a couple of months that I could take off, but I did decide maybe I should get started. So that said, for Valentine's Day, I finally got around to making Liam Charles's salted caramel chocolate tart, which is a great British bake-off recipe. And it sort of feels like it's cheating because I think it's from the kids version, but it sounded really delicious <laughs> and it was on the same website with all the other ones. So it's not cheating. Whatever. I'm making it again. My goals. It yeah. can do whatever I want. So you use chocolate cookies. So I define gluten free ones and then you make a crust and then you make caramel, which was interesting. <laughs> uh, and then you top it with a whipped chocolate ganache which I found fascinating because you like make the ganache and chill it and then you take the the beaters to it and whip it up. Never done that. The making of the caramel, as I said, was interesting. I think I've made caramel sauce before, but making a caramel to go in a tart, I don't think I've done. And the instructions on the site were, you know, put X amount of sugar in there add a little bit of water, and then don't touch it and let it go. I don't do well with just add a little bit of water. Like, I've never done this before. How much water is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to, like, be making all the sugar dissolve? Is it really just a tablespoon? I don't know. So I did a little more research and found a couple of suggestions and went with that. And it all turned to crystal. <gasps> but 
I ignored that and started stirring it. And it turned out fine. Oh. It was bizarre because everything I read was, you know, as soon as it starts crystallizing again. Game over. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> Apparently. Did it have of- like a granular texture to it when you were eating it? No. Okay, then. I have no idea. I mean, the whole, because I could see it turning, starting to turn color underneath, but then the top was looking crunchy. I'm like, that can't be good. And I I kept looking at the different sites, you know, do you stir, do you not stir? America's Test Kitchen had one that kind of went through all the reasons and what the point is. Their main one was that if you're stirring and you get the sugar and the water on the edges, and then then it's going to start crystallizing and it hits, you know, the main portion and that crystallizes. I was like, well, it's already crystallized, so I'm not going to hurt it if I try and stir it. And that eventually, and I did have some little chunks, but eventually I guess I got it at a good temperature and they melted and it just all went clear. So at that point I said, okay, took it off the heat, threw in, what do we throw in? Cream and butter and stirred it some more. And yeah, I was... I was amazed. It was delicious. And then you put some little sea salt on top. Usually any kind of cake, cookies in my household, we get through dessert that night and then breakfast the next morning and it's gone. This one we had two good days of because it was really rich. But it was delicious. And you use dark chocolate and milk chocolate in the ganache and no baking, which was nice. Just the, the messing with the caramel and heating up of the cream for the, the ganache. Well that was done. exciting. I know. The picture, I think, did not really do it justice. It was hard to, it's hard to make brown look really attractive. <laughs> For I sure. Find. So there was that. But it was, it did taste spectacular. Um, less delicious. No, still delicious. Different. Very different. Mustardy cauliflower cheese <laughs> from Simple by Otolenghi. I had not, I had bought this book and I'd used it a lot, I think last summer, and then I hadn't been using it for a while. And in an effort to cure my food boredom, pulled it out again. And there were many great recipes in there that I wanted to try. And this was one of them. So you take cauliflower florets and blanch them. And then you make a sauce, basically like a mac and cheese sauce, but you're using cauliflower instead of macaroni. But it also has cumin and curry powder, mustard powder, theoretically some green chilies. I think I skipped those. I might have put in just some like red chili flakes and mustard seeds and then cheddar cheese and cream. And you mix the cauliflower in and then you top it with breadcrumbs and a little bit more cheese and then you bake it. And he says you can serve it as a side dish for chicken or other kinds of meat, or you can just serve it as is. So I did kind of a combo and made some brown rice with it. And I think we had sausage for the kids. So it was sort of a main for Simon and I, and then a side dish for the the boys. And it was quite good. And then the, you know, the, the spices were just different enough to make it a little, little interesting and perk up the taste buds. So... I like that one and, you know, pretty simple. And you could, you know, leave out the spices as well if you were not into extra flavor. Just do a little bit of mustard, yeah, yeah. you know, more traditional. Depending on your audience. And then this is a recipe that I have made multiple times and I can't remember if I have talked about it before. They are the tofu lettuce wraps from The Dinner Plan by um, Kathy Brennan and somebody else whose name I can't remember, but it will be in the show notes. You take a block of tofu cut it into batons, marinate it in like a soy sauce combo, and then bake it. 
and you serve it wrapped in lettuce leaves with a sriracha mayonnaise. And I usually add some rice as well, sprinkle it with sesame seeds, and it is surprisingly delicious. Like even my kids are really, really into it. And they'll eat, they'll eat tofu, but yeah. they are actually excited about this one, which is a whole different thing. So super easy, really good weeknight kind of idea if you're trying to convince people that tofu is a good idea. I mean, mayonnaise helps also, <laughs> honestly. So it's it's similar to, I think it's called larb, so where it's like ground. Yeah. yeah so it's, so I mean, you could do that as well. And just if you're trying to cut back on the meat or again, have a combo family like we do. But that one is a really tasty one that is a family favorite in Fun. our house. Yeah. Did you cook anything? I did cook. Besides a pot of broth? Spoiler. I made, it's it's cauliflower week, apparently. Oh, good to know. I made buffalo cauliflower with tahini ranch dip. Oh. And this is a recipe from Half-Baked Harvest whom I've been following a little bit more closely recently. I love her. I mean, it's it's like bang on where we're at food-wise right now, which is fun, satisfying, easy. And her brother's an Olympic athlete. And her yeah, and I didn't Who even knew? know that until this season. So, yeah. I've been loving her site recently and I did grab one of her cookbooks and I have the other one coming. So, the buffalo cauliflower is tumbled with some beaten egg, and then you enshroud it in flavored panko breadcrumbs and bake it off. Pretty straightforward. It, it It's delicious, just like that. But this tahini ranch dip was awesome. It was so good. We're not a huge tahini house. I made the dip with just the tahini, and I thought it needed a little bit of something sour, and so because we aren't vegan, I added a couple tablespoons of sour cream to it. And that just made it awesome for us. Lots of herbs in it. The tahini is a cool flavor and accompanied with a little bit of sour cream. Everyone loved it. Huge crowd pleaser. They want to do it again. So fantastic. I also made the chickpea mac and cheese from Weekday Vegetarians. That I've talked about before. It is a hit in my house. I do half chickpea, half regular pasta. The boys, I did tell them that there's chickpea pasta in it and it has more protein. And they were totally happy to have that upgrade with the mac and cheese. And I think it it is a little bit more satisfying long term, mm-hmm. you know. I made some cookies for Valentine's Day. It's It's been really hard to cook at the house right now because I feel like I have to wipe down every surface before I make anything several times a day. And it's a little bit tiresome, but it's only temporary. So we'll get through it. But I did make the Smitten Kitchen celebration cookies Oh yeah, because one of my kids finished up his JV season and that corresponded with Valentine's Day. So I made those and I made the 100 cookies pan-banged peanut butter chocolate chip cookie Mm. because I'm, you know, I've got a husband who needs to be seen every once in a while. (laughs) So I made those for him. And then I made, I saw some sprouted oats. So I'm trying to eat more oats. I'm the only one who's trying to eat more oats, but that's okay. 
I saw sprouted oats at Costco and bought a bag and made them like I make my regular oatmeal every morning, which is just in a pot with some water, a teeny pinch of salt, and then I top it with maybe a few raisins or cranberries or and then maybe some sunflower seeds or and a little bit of maple syrup. Really simple. Any dark chocolate? No, but yes now. So I was curious about what the difference was going to be between conventional organic rolled oats and the sprouted oats. And I did a little reading, and it's kind of like the difference between a green pepper and a red bell pepper, where the conventional rolled oat is before the thing flowers, before it germinates. And the sprouted oat is a little more mature version of that same seed. So for some people, it's easier to digest. Like I have a really hard time with green bell pepper, but perfectly fine with orange, yellow, and red because they're a little more mature. The flavor profile was a little bit different. Otherwise, I didn't notice anything special. So I'm just going to keep consuming them. And then the last thing that I cooked, which was this morning... So, so, dear listeners, we are about to tell you all about Cooking at Home by David Chang and Priya Krishna, which is this book we've, I've been marinating with for almost a couple months now. And one of David Chang's suggestions is to learn where your, I'm jumping into this a little bit, I guess, to learn where your salinity profile lands in terms of how to salt a broth properly. And so I said to Monica, oh, I'll throw together some vegetable broth and bring it over and we can do the the salt test and see where we land. And won't that be fun? Ha ha ha. Because my house is, is relatively low sodium and I thought it would be interesting just to see. So this morning, because I'm not cooking, I have a drawer full of odds and ends to make vegetable broth, like gorgeous, different color carrots and onions and a leek and a rutabaga and I don't know what else. Plenty. And I threw it all in the pot first thing this morning and I cooked it down for almost three hours. And then I put it in a Cambro container, like a gallon and a half of gorgeous vegetable stock. And I drove it over here, over the river and through the woods to Monica's house. I come and I'm coming down the hill to Monica's house and the whole thing tips over in the driver's side or in the passenger side of my car. So her expression when she got out of her car was just tragic. (laughs) So no broth testing for us today. Yes. And my car now smells like vegetable broth. So I pulled over (laughs) and I was really, I mean, I have to say, I'm just laughing at the whole thing because there's nothing to be done about it. And it's, of all the things, it is so not, it's a catastrophe, but like a comical one. And I was just telling my younger son last night how the most fun episodes to record are the ones where I have some gargantuan (laughs) guffaw, like the time that I put too much baking soda in the strawberry shortcake that I made for my mother-in-law, and everybody thought that was hysterical. Yeah. I I mean, mean, it was. It was. So I'm human. Yep. We live on the hill, hills. There are hills between us. In San Francisco. And I didn't buckle the stock in properly, and now... There's that. Safety first. 
I might have said a few swear words along the way. That seems reasonable. (laughs) So, so David Chang, we do not have a stock tasting thing to talk about. However, however, we do have the rest of the book. book. So the full title is Cooking at Home or How I Learned to Stop Worrying About Recipes and Love My Microwave by David Chang and Priya Krishna. So he is the Momofuku guy, which I've never actually eaten at one of his restaurants, but, you know, it sounds delicious. And I read his autobiography and it was really interesting. I like watching him on a lot of the Netflix Mm. specials. And I also like that he has been a huge champion for Christina Tosi, who is the milk right. bar woman. And she I just like her approach to baking. So I happen to think that it would be so fun to hang out with David Chang. And I've never eaten at Momofuku either. Yep. But now you and I have read this kind of monster kitchen philosophy book. Yeah. And Priya Krishna is a New York Times food writer and the author of Indianish. That's her cookbook. So they go into it together and he kind of is talking about his philosophy and then she would test out his, they're not even recipes, they're approaches. Approaches, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of his theory is what works in a restaurant for a restaurant chef is not necessarily going to work for you at home, especially on a Tuesday night. So this is kind of how he cooks at home and some of how she cooks at home. I will say there is, <laughs> there is a lot of meat in this cookbook. So I did not get to do as much of a deep dive as I would have liked, even though I, I was kept looking at all the pretty pictures going, oh, I want to try that. But it's not going to do me any good to cook up three pounds of brisket. I mean, my kids would probably eat it, but it was it felt a little much. Yes. But there is a nice vegetable section as well. I didn't really cook a lot from this at all. However, there are parts of it that were really interesting, like super helpful. I Yeah, it's so much more than just a cookbook. Yeah, it is. A recipe, yeah, recipe. I feel like it's kind of his philosophy for, for it's like one approach to cooking at home mm-hmm. from somebody who's spent a lot of time in the kitchen. And I think some people need permission to just be like, yeah, you don't have cumin? Fine, use seasoning salt or... Celery, I don't know what I'm... I feel like the rapport between the two was Dave kind of talking about how he wants... I'm calling him Dave. Yeah. I don't know if it's Dave or He's our buddy. (laughs) If if he is talking, he's saying how he approaches something, and Priya is listening to it, asking him questions about it, challenging him, and then adding her own angle. And then they bring in like a food scientist to back up the actual study behind it. So it feels like a food writer meets a chef meets America's test kitchen, like food scientist to tell you why it works the way it works. And that was particularly helpful for me because I definitely had preconceived notions about the microwave. Yes. But we can, I'm I'm getting maybe a little too specific. Yeah. So there's a section about microwaving there's a part on freezing there's stuff on how bread works i think and he also or i guess they also are pretty clear that these are not authentic recipes these are home cooked recipes and if you want an authentic korean whatever here's some people to look at yeah there's a great or you know little appendix in the back with a bunch of different cuisines and then just a couple books 
for each cuisine that might that that will lend some authenticity to it if that's what you're looking for. And one of my I am not familiar at all with Korean cuisine, but one of the books that I worked with for when I was doing Lemon Latitude about Japan was listed in the oh, cool. in that back section. And I was so happy to see that because it's one of my favorite cookbooks. Oh, nice. On the shelf. Excellent. So there are there are recipes, but there are not there's not specific amounts. So it's you take a pound of chicken and add some add these things, but if you want to do it differently, you can do this and you know, it's all about tasting as you go and being true to what works for you and your family. Things that I am definitely working on. I very much enjoy following a recipe. Just like tell me what to do, what it should be. He opens the book by stating how individual and important palates, individual yeah. palates are and how seasoning is you kind of need to experiment with that and figure out where you land in terms of seasoning. And that's not just the salt thing that we were my big snafu this morning. That's also the umami and the acid and the heat profile and the sweet profiles Mm -hmm. of your foods and knowing, you know, where you like things to balance. And just because David Chang likes it a certain way doesn't mean your household is going to like it. And Priya does that. There's one of the recipes where she's talking about she keeps trying his version and she's like, it's not tasting right to me. It's not I'm doing something wrong. And finally, she figured out, no, I just don't like the way this tastes. She made a couple of tweaks and now she really likes it. So the sodium one, the salt one was interesting to me because as a low sodium household, we often notice that when we get takeout or, or we eat with somebody else, that other food seems saltier to us because we have reduced our salt intake, you know, and while I love a finishing salt on the whole, I watched somebody salt pasta the other day on like a little food channel. She put so much, I mean, it was like a quarter cup of salt into the pasta water. And that was like, oh my gosh, no. (laughs) And I know that they do that you know, at restaurants and that type of thing, but it's not, it doesn't work for our family. And so reading that section made me reevaluate like, oh, I am often adding acid to things. Mm. Like I love to add, and my acids of choice are like balsamic vinegar or lemon juice or lime juice. And it's, it was interesting to see what their acids of like all of their flavor, their seasoning go-tos like Dave uses a lot of the agave syrup Mm -hmm. whereas I love maple syrup and honey or brown sugar for certain things so that part is cool and that's something that you don't often see in a recipe is that particular author's seasoning profile you know yeah you were saying before how much you love to follow a recipe and I I love recipes too because it's it's a way for me to like turn my brain off and just sort of autopilot. And I'm really comfortable with a cooking recipe or a baking recipe. But I think what's critical for me with a recipe is that little introduction that says, you know, that kind of describes what it should taste like. I love that because then I know I can tell from that description if it's going to meet my mm. family's flavor profile. Right. 
I mean, I can usually tell by the ingredients too, but I do love an intro, maybe not seven pages of intro, but you know what I mean. A little paragraph. Yeah. And it also, it definitely skews Asian flavors, which was great. I I enjoy getting out of my European rut, which often happens. And if nothing else, my family now has chili crisp in its cupboard, or I guess the... And did you order the Momofuku Chili Crisp? Did you- I did not. No, okay. I got a. I got the other one that they mentioned in here. Yeah, and my kid loves it. So, so if nothing else, we've got Chili Crisp out of it. I still don't understand exactly what it is, but it is quite flavorful and delicious. Well, I went and bought. I used to have that Nom Nom Paleo Umami Powder, which is mm-hmm. like a mushroom powder. I didn't see it at the market, and so I traded it in for for now for the Trader Joe's mushroom powder. Mm-hmm. And it is awesome. I put it on popcorn the other day and it was so delicious. Yeah. I use that a lot when it calls for like fish sauce. Oh, that's a good cheat. As a kind of a umami thing. Yeah. As far as the actual recipes. So I said I wasn't going to boil three pounds of brisket, but I did boil a chicken because my family will eat chicken. And I just kind of wanted to see what happened (laughs) if I did that. So it was a little bit tricky because... The chicken that I had did not quite fit in my largest Dutch oven, so I had to pull out the lobster pot so that I could get it actually covered with water. So that that made it the whole thing take a little bit longer. But it actually was quite delicious. I used it for the chicken and rice recipe, which is you just cut off the breasts and slice them and you make some rice. You skim the chicken fat and add it to the rice and then you serve it with various sauces one of which was a ginger scallion sauce, which was delicious. Um, And then I had leftover chicken and the broth, and I made myself chicken noodle soup for lunch the next day, which was delicious. And you got some mileage out of that. I did. And that was that's kind of one of his theories is, yeah, make a big pot of meat and then use it through the week. And I do some of that regularly. But I did realize that I was kind of overcooking meat. I love the 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 point where it falls off the bone. And I was maybe overcooking chicken a little bit. Yeah. I talked about it a couple weeks ago when, you know, Adam made a chicken and he follows the, the cookbook to a T, to the letter, mm-hmm. and his chicken came out so good. And my test for chicken was leave it until it smells like chicken. And then... <laughs> And that the juices are kind of caramelized in the pan, but that might be too far gone because the breasts were always dry. So I've been paying more attention to how long, or well, I've been I've been using my internal thermometer. And then the other day for Valentine's Day, it's no big deal. I didn't talk about it before because all I did was like olive oil, salt and pepper, some lamb chops, mm. which Dave says not to buy because you can't get any mileage out of them mm. afterward. However... I did not overcook them. I paid attention to the temp- temperature, and everyone loved them except me. So, which you knew going in. Yeah, I don't like up. lamb. Yeah. Still, ground lamb, yes. Lamb chops, no. Interesting. So it's not a flavor thing. It is a flavor thing. Ground lamb tastes different. Ground lamb tastes different because you can huh. stir in other seasoning. Oh uh, yeah, fair. Okay. What else did you make? I embraced the microwave. <gasps> that was super fun. This book did sort of feel like a dare. <laughs> 
It, right. I'm going to boil a chicken. Let's see what happens. I'm yeah. going to microwave a bunch of stuff. Let's see what happens. I'm going to make some my- chicken st- or vegetable stock and drive across town <laughs> recklessly with abandon. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Um, the other thing. Yes. Okay. Microwaving, microwave baked potatoes instead of baking them. I had heard about this before and was never sold on it. And I, this came up again. So instead of sticking your potato in the, in the oven, oven for an hour, it's I never get it done quite right. So I end up having dinner late. You stick it in the microwave for 10 minutes and it tastes like a baked potato. <laughs> it was amazing. Baked potatoes all the time now. So this was the um, sticking point for me. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law was diabetic. Somewhere along the line, I had heard that... When you microwave starches, it increases the glycemic index, especially for a person who is diabetic and is sensitive to the sugar content in food. Hmm. There is a great article in this cookbook that talks about what really happens to food when you microwave it. So it forced me to go out and look a little bit further about why I had believed that about the glycemic index. Because you were talking about that with the oatmeal as well. Yeah. The way that the microwave works, it goes after the water particles in any food, and that's what's generating the heat. And so if you have something that's already been cooked, it doesn't necessarily have as much water in it as the first time. So it's already going to, it doesn't matter if you're putting it in a skillet or in the oven or in the microwave, it's already going to have a higher glycemic index than when you're cooking it from raw. The microwave is like one or two points more on the, like instead of a 60, whatever the unit of measure is in the oven, it's a 62. And you know, that's so, I mean, for somebody who's super sensitive, maybe that would be important, but realizing that now and then balancing it out, the energy cost of running the microwave for 10 minutes versus running the oven for an hour and a half, it helped dispel a lot of my, I don't, I'm not afraid of the microwave. I was just always super mindful of that part of it for my mother-in-law. Cool. That was long-winded. But so carry on, microwave away. Yeah, so it was great. And then I kind of feel like it was when I made the chicken Reuben skillet. I needed something substantial. I didn't want to just serve my husband rice, right? Because he wasn't going to eat the chicken. So I thought, well, baked potatoes, but now I can do it in 10 minutes. Right. So that was exciting. And then sweet potatoes too. All potatoes. I think I did the sweet potatoes also. I I was just, it wasn't a particular recipe. It was just like, all right, let's do sweet potatoes. I think I mashed them or something. Yeah. So that was good. He's a big fan, I guess, of cooking. He, I mean, he has a rice cooker. I do and not. They talk do about you? it. I do. Because oh. we don't eat as much pasta anymore. Mm. We eat a lot of rice. But he also cooks rice in the microwave, which I didn't really feel a need to do it because I have the rice cooker. But he had a recipe for mango sticky rice, which sounded delicious, where you cook the rice and then you stir in a can of coconut milk and top it with some mango. And that was really good. And that, again, uh, and that took a while. I mean, that takes like half an hour, yeah. but it's just sitting in the microwave and you don't have to worry about cooking it in the pot. I guess theoretically I could do it in the rice cooker and then add the coconut milk as well, but it turned out well. So that was a win. And people were very excited about that as a dessert feature. He has several recipes that feature 
microwave chicken thighs and then you do various things with them. So one of those, my husband is doing music class on Thursday night. So he's usually over in Berkeley and kind of gets dinner on his own. So I've been bringing back the meat. So we had chicken with bacon and spinach. (laughs) Which does not usually happen in my house. Oh my gosh. Totally smelled like bacon. Um, So you take the microwave chicken thighs, you saute some bacon, you chop up the chicken, you throw it in there, you throw some spinach in. I think I had chard in my produce box, so that was what I used instead. Mix it up and there you go. There's dinner. And it was, took like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It was so fast. Um, I think I served rice with it as well. So that one was really good. Chicken with gochujang and potatoes. What is gochujang? That is a Korean chili sauce, um, which I've had in my house. It's one of my kids is a lover of all things hot sauce. So I have quite a collection of red spicy sauces in my fridge. And that is one of them. So I did have that. And it also called for Szechuan peppercorns, which was a birthday present that I got. Shiitake mushrooms, potatoes, cumin, chili flakes, rice wine, scallions, all sorts of delicious things. That one I would need to go back and do again. I liked it because I was able to keep the chicken out till the end. So there was enough other things in it that I could serve it to my husband and then add the chicken in for the rest of us. But that is where the lack of amounts for the spices kind of tripped me up because I don't like overly spicy things. So I was holding back so that I didn't overdo it. And I think I held back too much. Mm. So there was a lot of promise in that recipe, but I would need to make it again and play around Dial with the, it up a little. Yeah, play around yeah. with the flavors. But it was a very cool idea and, you know, a little bit of a different recipe that I would probably not have picked out on my own. But he really breaks them. I think he just breaks down these recipes into kind of its component parts and just makes it more accessible. Good. I I really wish that I had a functioning kitchen right now so that I I should have started cooking from this earlier. And some of the recipes that I flagged were that chicken and rice, like Mm -hmm. boiling a chicken, trying that. And then this corn thing on page 288. It's pretty delicious. Where you you cook corn and corn. (laughs) (laughs) I love like a real corn flavor. I love those corn cookies from... Oh, right, yeah. um, from Milk Bar. And this is, this just sounds so good. And I love the idea of putting it into a taco. And I don't know where, I think it'd be good in a rice bowl. And It was it, good in a taco. Did you do it? We did, yeah. Okay. I will you, let you talk You were about right. It. No, it was, so I guess you can use regular corn. I used frozen corn because it is not corn season here. And you blend it with milk and make a corn milk. And then you cook some more corn with it and it's just it's like cream of corn basically but it's extra corny right and delicious he suggested it as like a side for shrimp or whatever kind of meat you wanted and then priya said that it's really rich which it is and she could see it as more part of like a taco so i i made shrimp tacos and it was really good it sounds like it would taste and i forget the name of the there's like a fast food chain that does like a little side of corn mash basically it's not chipotle but maybe chilies or one of those places serves a little corn on the side and it sounds like it would be similar it was it was tasty it was good the vegetables were 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 quite good the sauteed cabbage or you can use iceberg lettuce but i had cabbage 
just sounded again like a dare. You know? Yeah. Um, and was actually really good. He has you mix it with garlic and chili and soy sauce, rice vinegar, some honey. And I did it as part of small plates dinner and it was surprisingly tasty and my people ate it without too much complaint. Again, just a little bit something different, not unexpected and super easy. Do you own a wok? No. Yeah, me either. Dutch ovens. Me too. So those yeah, usually work. The two things that I thought I might want to try were a clay pot or a wok. But then they're so helpful. They're, you know, these two that they just want you to like use what you got and make it work. Yeah. Like, I was very tempted by the clay pot too. They're just because it could go in the microwave also where my Dutch oven cannot. Right. Oh, so and that's that. and that on was, the stovetop. That was the other thing that they pointed out was the microwave is go for it. Just make sure you're cooking with glass. Yeah. In a glass container. Yeah. So chili lime Brussels sprouts. So microwaving the Brussels sprouts and adding some of that chili crisp and lime juice. Those were tasty. Steaming the vegetables in the microwave. Super easy. And that's like where the microwave is like yeah. saves you a pot and time and and since you're just steaming, that's doing what the microwave was made to do anyway. Yeah. I made some dal. That was good. I made cream of vegetable soup. That was also good. A the stuffed it. cabbage is on my list. Oh, yeah. That looked good. There was uh, There's a section on ground meat. There's a section on fish. There's a section on various other cuts of meaty meats, brisket and short ribs and things that I did not get to, but that look fantastic. So I think my next step with this book is to, I want to take a field trip to H Mart or Pacific Market mm, yeah. because I didn't have a lot of the seasonings. I have my, you know, European version of it, but I think it would be fun to, like that would help me jump into it a little bit more, I think, would be to have some of yeah. those some of the right spices. Yeah. And the one that I am very sad that I did not get to is his one dessert recipe, which is you take basically a Krispy Kreme donut, pan fry it, and top it with ice cream. And if you're feeling extra fancy, you microwave some of that ice cream to make some creme anglaise and serve it as a sauce. <laughs> and apparently some chef friend of his served this at, to him like at home and didn't tell him what it was. And he was like, this is amazing. It's light and fluffy and crispy and sugary and caramely and i don't know what it is and it was so. a crispy cream donut yeah i think dunkin they eat a dunkin donuts yeah i think it it needs to be the um the risen not the cake is what it looks like in the picture i just think that sounds fantastic so yeah glazed donut pan fried glazed donut yeah so i really liked it i think because it is so meat heavy for me it is a lot more aspirational yeah. Than things I can necessarily use in my daily life. But a lot of them were, they've been really helpful for making me think about, you know, what can I do with this head of broccoli that I have still sitting around or, you know, my constant goal to get better at not being so reliant on recipes. I think the most important part for me to, was twofold, was paying attention to the seasonings in in my household, like who likes what and how much and how to pull back a little bit or to, you know, let somebody self, self, you know, add hot sauce or something like that, um, which I'm always a little intimidated by, which is partly why I more just read this instead of cooking from it, although kitchen mess. And then overcoming my 
reluctance to microwave. I mean, literally, the only thing I've been using my microwave for is popping popcorn. I have like a silicone popper and melting butter. That's it. Like super underutilized. So much more thing you can do that with it. is taking up a lot of space in my pantry, frankly. So I feel like I have a, a little bit better perspective on that piece of equipment, which feels good, but I'm still interested in buying a clay pot. Well, you can use that in the microwave. Yeah. So I'll, I have a pretty tiny microwave though. Yeah. yeah. And it's a beautiful book. It is super graphically designed and good pictures of the food. I mean, it is a book that you can just curl up with and read also. It is... Yeah, that's Not what I've been doing with it. So yeah. And there's a great condiment section. Yes. Um, that I did make a couple. Pickle section. Oh yeah, great pickles. I love pickles. But I think the versatility of, like once you know how you like your seasoning and then everything else feels like, oh yeah, I can tweak that for my own, for my own kitchen. Yeah, so I would say maybe this is not a book you need to rush out and own, but definitely maybe check it out from your library, borrow it from a friend, read through, maybe play around with some of the recipes and see what you think. Um, I think there's definitely at least two or three gems, probably more, depending on how you cook and and what you are looking for in your kitchen. Yeah, I concur. I'm glad we I'm glad we we did this. So it was it was fun. All right, on the nightstand. Well, I'm sure you all will be very pleased to know we are back to a bajillion books from me. You are. Yes. Ugh. Holy so, cow. All right, here we go. I reread, actually, I listened to, and this is why I'm mentioning it, Read at the, Bo- <laughs> at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. When I t- told my husband what the book was called, because he's in the book club also, he thought I said, read it. Like the the website, I was very confused. Uh, but no, Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. Uh, I read this about a year ago, so I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But I did want to put a plug in for the audio, which was amazing. Different cast for each of the different voices in the book. So that's always really good. And some of the parts, the way it was read and the attention they paid to the, the words really deepened my understanding of the book and what the characters were going through. So... I really enjoyed that. And then I listened to The Scholar by Dervla McTiernan, which is book two in the police mystery series. Um, I talked about the first one last time, I think. Um, So this was the second one. And I think there's one more. So this one, Cormac Riley is a cop in Galway. He's been there about a year now. He is still getting cold cases, but he finally has gotten a couple of live ones. That night, he gets a call from his girlfriend, She has found the body of a college girl in the road. It looks like a hit and run. So he goes to investigate. Turns out it is murder. And not only that, but it might be the granddaughter of the owner of the pharmaceutical company at which his girlfriend works. And she's the one who found the body. So it's all very suspicious and great twists and turns and some nice character development for Carmack and the other people in his world. So I enjoyed that one very much as well. Plus, you know, nice Irish accent to listen to. And then I read Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. She wrote Circe, which I loved. This one I did not enjoy quite as much. So it is the story of Achilles, the Greek hero of the Trojan War. And it's told by Patroclus, who was his childhood friend and companion as an adult all through his life. 
And so it tells the story of their childhood and their education by Chiron, the centaur. They go off to the war. All of the, you know, her interpretation of the Greek stories about Achilles. The writing was still beautiful. There was some really good points about it. But for me, reinterpreting myths, there has to be something new and interesting. And I didn't feel like I got a, a different viewpoint of Achilles from what I already knew, which wasn't a ton of stuff, but it, it didn't feel it didn't feel like I learned anything new. Maybe, you know, I didn't really know the story of Patroclus. So that part was a little interesting. He was a little he was kind of um, uh, Twilight where Bella is always saying, oh, you know, you're so amazing. You're so amazing. Why would you be in love with me? And eventually you kind of agree with her and you sort of got this same feeling for Patroclus like, oh, Achilles, you're so amazing. Why would you be in love with me? And eventually you think, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Why? Why are we interested in you again? <laughs> so <laughs> did not work quite as well as the other one for me, but your mileage might vary. And then uh, a couple of romances. One Dance with a Duke by Tessa Dare. Amelia is from an impoverished noble family, and one of her brothers is in debt to a certain duke who is known as the Duke of Midnight. He shows up at all of the parties right at midnight, picks one lady to dance with, and then takes off. And so Amelia decides to approach him. Midnight is so late for me now. I know. <laughs> and then they like, oh they my have, gosh. they're still dancing, and then they go into dinner right after, or supper. Yeah, no, thank you. Ugh, it was exhausting being noble, apparently. <laughs> so she decides to approach him, to talk about her brother, and so they have their dance, and shenanigans ensue. <laughs> and it was it was adorable parties and horses and weddings and just you know all the all the lovely romance things that you expect. And then one day in December by Josie Silver, Lori is just out of college. I think it starts in two thousand nine. Uh, she lives in London, and she is on a bus, and it's right before Christmas. And she looks out the window and she sees this guy and they make eye contact and it's just amazing. And she's thinking, should I get off the bus and go talk to him? Or it looks like maybe he's getting on. Neither of those things happen and the bus drives away. And she spends the next year searching for him. You know, like every time she goes out with her friends, like, oh, she's kind of looking for him. She's still thinking about him. Doesn't find him, doesn't find him until her best friend brings home her new boyfriend and it's the guy from the bus. What are you going to do? So it takes them through the next 10 years of their lives, ups and downs, love and loss, tragedy, drama. And it's in London, so that's always fun. Didn't there used to be like a column, like missed connections or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. In, in one of the, I don't know, I remember it yeah, yeah. in like a daily or a weekly paper in Boston. Was, I think was I think all, I think people would do yeah. just personal ads and stuff. I think so too. Yeah. So it was very similar to that, except they did not have the personal ad. And it was cute because it starts off in 2009, so she's putting in pop culture references from back in the day. Um, so that part was very cute as well. This one is a little more veering onto the chiclet. Lots of family drama and personal tragedies and and that kind of thing that I don't. I don't associate with a traditional romance, although I think you could definitely call this a romance because you can pretty much figure out what's going to happen with this couple, even though it takes them a long time to get there, but very enjoyable book. And then I read Comfort Me with Apples by Catherine M. Valente. And this was a trip. It was creepy 
uh, super short, just a few, like 124 pages, kind of a twisted fairy tale. I'm not sure how this got on my list, but it's very interesting. So Sophie wakes up every morning and she thinks about how amazing her husband was. And they live in this planned community and things are a little bit strange and you're not quite sure what's going on. She starts to think maybe something is wrong and there's a locked basement and her husband's never around. And it was, it was interesting. So I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I can't tell you very much about it because it is both a really short book and you start to get too deep into it and then you start to get to spoilers. So yes, it's more suspenseful than creepy and you know, like not, a psychological thriller? Yeah, it gets a little bit iffy at the end, but not too bad. Something okay. a little different. And then a bunch of sci-fi fantasy. Nor by Andy Okorofor. And I've read a bunch of her books before, and I've enjoyed them. But this one I really, really liked. It, it takes place in the nearish future. I think what would be kind of our grandkids' age is when it's happening. Um, so Ao is our heroine, and she was born with a lot of birth defects, and so has had kind of bionic arms and legs attached. She's okay with it. The culture she is in is not entirely okay with that. So she is in a marketplace, and someone starts hassling her, and she accidentally kills five men and has to go on the run. She meets up with DNA, who is a cow herder out in the desert. And he's been accused of being a terrorist. They end up working together and start a revolution. So she she always does these really interesting, I guess they're more sci-fi tales, kind of what science is, is doing to people and how it's affecting our culture, being aware of differences and disabilities. And she's a really intriguing writer. And Her parents are from Nigeria, and so a lot of her stories take place there, so you get Mm -hmm. the whole different culture. And she spent a a lot of time there as well, I believe. Um, So it's a whole different cultural base for these stories. And this one I really enjoyed. And that was Noor by Endi Okorafor. And then Iron Widow by Siran J. Zhao. Future, far future. Aliens have invaded the world. I, I love the alien ones. I'm with you on the bionic limbs. I'm with you on like dystopian stuff. As soon as aliens land, I'm like, it's so hard for me. Fair. I guess for me, like in in this one, it is based in a Chinese world. And so it feels they've got the Great Wall. So it feels like maybe it's just it, the Mongols invading China. And that's kind of where the battle is, except that there's robots, giant robots. <laughs> <laughs> The aliens have invaded and they have figured out how to use the alien bodies, which are these big like beetle type things to create their own armor. And so that's where the Pacific Rim robot thing comes in. But they can also transform like Pokemon when you use your spirit to both control it and and make a change and battle the the robots. You were paying much more careful attention in the Pokemon days than I was. I was like, I I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Would you like to color? (laughs) I had some Pokemon people in my household. Yeah. It is a very patriarchal and misogynistic society. Great. (laughs) Super awesome. The robots are controlled by a man and a woman. Well, really a boy and a girl. And ideally, their spirits match and they can make it extra strong. But generally what happens is the man's spirit overcomes the girl's and she dies. 
So our heroine, Zeishen, thinks this is ridiculous. Uh, turns out she's super strong and she kills the first pilot that she's with and becomes an Iron Widow. And so the army is kind of unsure what to do with her because you can't like announce that girls can actually be strong, but they don't want to waste her. So they give her to an actually even stronger pilot. There's shenanigans. Uh, this was a weird one, I'm going to say. I mean, I know I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's a little strange. I do like this kind of book. Generally, I don't have yeah. a problem with alien invasions and giant robots and Pokemon. Most people don't. It's just me. I don't think it's just you. <laughs> I don't know. My problems with this... It was a YA book, so a lot of the violence is happening offstage. But it's really bad. Like, they're still doing foot binding. And there's yeah. a pretty graphic description of foot binding. And there's a warning at the beginning of the book. But I didn't quite see the point of that. The level of misogyny and description in this book seemed overdone, even for making a point. I'm not sure if it bothered me because I felt that this book shouldn't have, that a YA book shouldn't have it. I see. It, that stuff happens to kids, so there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to read about it. And quite frankly, they're probably reading Game of Thrones anyway. And what, you know, or was it just, it didn't seem necessary to me to be going through the entire book with this continual violence yeah, and torture. So there were some good twists and turns at the end. The plot itself, I enjoyed. And there's going to be, it's part of a series. So we will see if I, if I get to, to book two, I'm, I am not sure. So it was interesting. Just you need to be aware of the, it is not an easy read. Language wise, yes, but content wise is a little difficult. Much more enjoyable, Where the Drowned Girls Go by Shauna McGuire. You will never not hear me talk about her. This is a different series of hers. The School for Wayward Children, where children who have gone through magic doors into other worlds and have come back to this world can go to be with other kids and kind of learn to readjust to this world or wait for their door to reopen. This one is a girl that had been to a mermaid world and then had a second adventure that she wasn't really meant to go on. And so she is suffering from that. So she wants to go to a different school where they help you more aggressively reintegrate to this world. And she thinks that'll be the, the solution that she needs and things do not go as planned. But again, Shannon's continually a great writer, beautiful writing, just makes you think about people in different ways, very inclusive. It, she's just fantastic. There Fun. we go. Many, many things. Yeah. Such a spectrum from you today, as usual. I did, yeah. Yeah. I try and mix it up. I have one book for you. Excellent. Because we've been talking for a while, so it's probably better. <laughs> I have a couple that I'm wrapping up and I just didn't finish them because it's not quiet at my house. No, you can't read that way. I read Damnation Spring by Ash Davidson. And before I jump into a description of it, the cover art was painted by Jeremy Miranda. And I think for my art folks, he's worth a glance. His work is really beautiful and it speaks to me. So I loved the cover standalone for that reason. No, it's not why I picked it up, but it's delightful all the same. So this is a story that takes place in Northern California in the 1970s, and it's closely told by the Gunnarsson family in shifting perspectives. Colleen, the wife, Rich, the husband, 
and their son's name is Chubb. (laughs) And there's a little bit from Chubb's perspective. What's going on is that Rich is an old-time logger, and he and his father and his grandfather have been logging the redwoods off of the land in Northern California for for as long as they've been there. They don't own the land. They've always been working for someone else, but it's definitely part of their identity and longtime residents of that town. What starts to happen is an intersection with the environmental protection and people wanting to save the redwoods and all of that kind of political activism that was starting to pick up more steam during that time and how the, you know, they call them like the tree huggers and hippies or whatever were coming up from the city and chaining themselves to redwood trees or living in the canopies so that logging companies wouldn't be able to remove the trees. So it's that clash. And then the other really difficult piece to read about is that in order to log these trees more efficiently, the logging companies would spray like anti-weed juice. That's the technical like, term. Yeah, that's the technical term. They keep calling it weed juice in the book, and so that's kind of in my brain now. But it was getting into, like people were really sick in their community, and Colleen was a midwife, and she was noticing all kinds of weird things. So it's a conflict between the loggers and the environmental stuff. And then this husband and wife, the husband who's a logger and a wife who's noticing and experiencing the mega side effects of herbicide. Yes. uh, I like weed juice. Weed juice. Herbicide is the more technical term. Really, really beautifully wrought novel. It's very realistic. I think there's a lot of historical relevance, especially, you know, for local Northern California people who have visited the Redwoods. The Redwood trees, if you have never been, it is like, I grew up in New England and we have big old trees, but there is nothing quite as majestic as a Redwood tree. They are huge and straight and tall and ancient. And those, not to sound like a complete tree hugger, but I kind of am. My father was a logger when I was a kid, and I can remember him felling trees all over Connecticut and um, Massachusetts. And when we took him to the redwood forests, he was completely speechless and we have uh, incredible photos of my dad in the redwood in the redwood forests. Up, up north. So, ah, this book speaks to me on a lot of different levels. I think that it was excellent, just hands down excellent. The story, the narrative, the history. I think Ash Davidson grew up up north. She gets it. She gets the local politics and the cadence of speech and the descriptions. For for having only read one book in that this sounds stretch, like a pretty good one. This was a great one. Sounds like it would be a good companion to Overstory. Absolutely, like a, a flight of books. Yeah, I love tree books, and this was no this was no exception. It did not disappoint. Cool. Well, that is it for this time. Next time we will be coming to you from Stitches West. 
so exciting. We have some plans for recording. It should be pretty fun. If you want to meet up, if you'll be there, drop us a message on Ravelry or Instagram. And for the non-knitters, Stitches is definitely for the knitters, but I'm going to try to do a museum visit and we're going to eat some food up there in Sacramento and I'm going to I'm going to visit some family. So we will have other a little bit of other we'll non-yarn other content, but please do uh tune in. Yep. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.